All right. Hey, Old Testament, go to the book of Nehemiah chapter two. We're finally going to chapter two. I'm so glad everybody's here. And I would be amiss as well as if I didn't uh, acknowledge that we have uh, some great former Creekers. The McIntosh family is with us this morning. Yeah, man, they've moved. Wes was a former elder and he's going to be a sponsor this week at the kids camp. We really appreciate him stepping up too. And yeah, so it's great. Glad to have you guys again and, and meet you guys. So, all right. Uh, you can give while you're turning there. Don't forget, you can always give online to support the church and the church's work and, and, and uh, tithes and offerings online. The joy box is very, very important. Um, and, and be in prayer, guys. We are waiting. So like with the, with the building project and stuff, they've gotten to the point, the contractor, we're waiting on a fire company to extend the water sprinklers, fire suppression, and all that kind of stuff. So they're trying to get approval from the fire marshal and all that stuff. So I'd appreciate everybody praying about that and praying even for God's favor on those kinds of things as they continue that and continue uh, working on the outdoor building. Sound good? Yeah. How many of you have been praying? Yeah. Thank you. I'm like, oh, you put me on the spot, you know. Hey, I would ask, Pastor, keep praying, and, and we're still um, collecting, you know, or not collecting, but yeah, receiving uh, donations towards that for our project. Um, so yeah, uh, appreciate that all. Let's uh, get to the Word of God this morning. You know, we have talked over the last few weeks, quite a few weeks, about why we need a godly vision. Godly vision can encompass all kinds of things, large and small, family relationship, business, ministry, outreach, all, schooling, education, training, fine, all kinds of stuff, okay? God puts a lot of things on our hearts that he wants us to do. We have defined what a vision is. We've talked about the waiting period before your vision is acquired or before it happens. We spent two weeks talking about the waiting period. So today I want to give some practical teaching in regards to our godly visions, and that is the playbook of vision. The playbook of vision. Every team has a playbook, and a lot of businesses will have a playbook or a manual for their uh, employees and their staff, and all that is, it's, it's strategic, it's planning, it's organizing, and it puts it all together. So we're going to talk about the playbook of vision by looking at the first part of chapter two of of the book of Nehemiah. And as we've talked about Nehemiah, God had birthed a vision in his heart while he was waiting on God. He was praying, he was planning. And then as we're gonna see in Nehemiah 2, he was prepared to go before the king with his plan. So starting with verse one in the book of Nehemiah chapter two, he writes, in the book of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, remember he's a cupbearer, so when he brought the wine, okay, he sipped it a few times first, no poison, he was okay, king, it's safe, all right? When, he was be- when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. We'll talk about why here as we unpack this. I said to the king, let the king live forever. (laughs) And he said it in exactly that verse, or that, that tone, okay? Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, so he's got another request here, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah inspects Jerusalem's walls. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter, the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. So we see here, and we're going to unpack this kind of like a little bit verse by verse here as we go, but Nehemiah was prepared to go before the king with his plan. Years ago, there was a farmer who owned a farm along the Atlantic seaboard, and he, he constantly advertised that he needed, you know, for hired hands. He was always hiring hired hands. And most people were reluctant to work on farms along the Atlantic. They dreaded the inclement weather. Storms would come in and rage across the Atlantic, reaping havoc upon the buildings and crops. And as the farmers interviewed applicants for the job, he, you know, it was always this steady stream of refusals. I'm not going to work for you on the Atlantic seaboard. I'm not going to do that, okay? Well, finally, a very small-statured man approached the farmer he, he, he appeared to be well past middle age, nearly on his last legs, and the farmer asked him, are you a good farmhand? In his accent, the little man equipped, I can sleep when the wind blows. The farmer had no idea what the fellow meant, but desperate for help, the farmer hired the little man. And the man seemed to work well around the farm. He was busy from dawn to dusk. He did all the tasks. He did everything okay. And then the, the farmer was very satisfied with the man's work. Then one night, the farmer heard the howling winds, you know, coming off the ocean, and he, he jumped out of bed, he grabbed the lantern, and he rushed next door to the hired hand's quarters uh, to, to, to get the guy to, to get up and, and to get working and things like that, and he shook the man. He found him asleep, and he shook him and he yelled, get up, get up, a storm is coming, tie things down before everything blows away and it's disaster. Well, the man, the little man rolled over in his bed and said, no, sir, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. The farmer became enraged. He was tempted to fire the man right on the spot. Instead, he hurried him out himself to, to prepare everything for the storm. And to his amazement, he discovered that all the haystacks were covered with tarps. The cows were already in the barn. The chickens were already in the coops. And the doors were already barred and the shutters were tightly secured. Everything was tied down. Everything was taken care of. Nothing could blow away. And as the farmer inspected his property, he began to understand what the hired man meant, that he can sleep when the wind blows. So he returned to bed, and he enjoyed his sleep as well as the wind blew. This hired hand was very prepared. He was already prepared for when the storm came. And so as we get into this and unpack chapter two here, the first part of it, I ask, are you prepared when it comes to godly vision? Do you have a plan? Nehemiah did. But what we do, you know, 
a lot of times in between the, that moment between what God births in our heart, that vision, and then seeing its completion, that time is very important. That's, it's very vital. And a lot of times we just, uh, believers will just kind of stand there. You know, we talked about that a little bit last week. You know, they just kind of stand there and just, mm, okay, okay, just wait and wait and wait, all right? But we got to do more than like playing cards while we wait or playing Fortnite. And, you know, they, they, there's things to do. And there's ways to get ready for what God wants to do in our lives. So God's given you a vision. Are you ready for it? And you may say, well, well how do I get there? Well, if we look at Nehemiah, the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem were still in ruins. After the Persian king allowed a remnant to leave captivity to go rebuild the city, all in chapter one we talked about, they lived in danger and ridicule for decades because of the absent walls. And it was this very scenario that was thrust upon Nehemiah's heart in chapter one. It became a burden. It became a concern for him. God birthed that vision in him to go and rebuild the walls. Sounds great, right? But how's he going to do that in the circumstances that he was currently in? See, Nehemiah found himself in a very sticky situation. He knew God wanted him to go, but he was the king's cupbearer, a super high official in the king's court, the highest official, because the king put so much trust in Nehemiah as the cupbearer. He also became kind of like an advisor to the king. And so when you're a king's official, especially in this context in the Persian Empire, You don't just do what you want to do and you don't act just how you want to act as a king's official. No, no. Nehemiah couldn't just rush into the king's chambers and just start rattling off about his city. Yep, 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 yep. How I need to go over here, king. Uh, My my, my kinsmen people, they're they're in ridicule. They're in danger. I got to get out of here, king, you know. I'm just going to leave. Hey, King Artaxerxes, okay. I'm out of here, man. See you at 5,000, right? I'll be back later, okay? Thanks for the food and the wine. (laughs) I'm glad I was able to keep you safe, king. Now, the the king could have and probably would have said, hold on, wait a minute, Nehemiah. Stop. Okay, guard, kill him. (laughs) Kill him right now. That's what would have happened. You see, Nehemiah's situation seemed literally impossible to achieve because of his position because of where he was, okay? And so maybe Nehemiah thought to himself, how is this ever going to work? How am I gonna get out of here? How am I gonna get out of this this city in the empire of Persia to go down there and help my kinsmen? Hopefully you'll remember what we talked about last week. Listen, your godly vision, it should seem impossible for you to do because that's when God comes in. And that's when we see the miraculous happen. And maybe you're sitting in here this morning, maybe you're you're watching online right now and and maybe the the vision that God has given you for your family, for your children, for your ministry, for your, your business, whatever the scenario, okay? Maybe it just seems too huge to ever happen. There's never gonna be enough money Raise that kid as a godly kid? Are you serious, God? You know. <laughs> Anybody have kids like that? You know what? No? All right. <laughs> Your spouse seems a little indifferent. Your spouse doesn't even seem to care about anything about God's word or church or the Bible. 
Older kids are the same way maybe, you know? Maybe it seems like you're out there on your own and there's nobody to help you. you know, maybe you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the training, you don't have the skill. And it just seems too huge to ever happen. So if you're in that place where the vision seems to be impossible, you're in a good spot, be encouraged, and then hold on to these specific things to remember that we see Nehemiah do, Nehemiah's actions. These are six items of our vision playbook, okay? Number one, Keep believing in the vision God's given you. Keep believing. We see this in the very first part of verse one in our text. Nehemiah starts the second chapter of his book by mentioning that it was during the Hebrew month of Nisan, not the car, it's a Hebrew month. This corresponds to our, our March and our April, the Hebrew calendar, that's, that's when it corresponds. And in the first chapter, he says then, or Sorry, the second, he says there was the time of the Hebrew month of Kislev, our November, our December. He says that in the first chapter, sorry. So when you add that space between the two, all right, that comes to nearly four months. Four months of Nehemiah waiting, praying, fasting, seeking God. And you may say, well, four months, really, I blink and it's, Six months, Greg, you know, six months has gone by and my kids are in college and they're off living on their own. Now, think about it. In that waiting period, time seems to be exacerbated, right? When you're waiting on God, it's like it, it, it's, it's, it's going on and going on. And then so this is four months of Nehemiah seeking the Lord, praying and, and the burdens on his heart. Remember, he said he, he mourned and wept and he fasted day and night, day and night, all the time. This was on his mind. This was on his heart for four months. Yet no change, no commission was given to him by the king. No door of opportunity was open for him to even think about going. There was no new finances, no resources to help fund his trip. There was even, as the word probably spread around uh, the Jewish people still living in that province, there was no rallying cry from his fellow brethren and sister, and let's all go rebuild the walls together probably felt alone. Had he even heard from God? Was this really a vision from the Lord or was this his own idea? I'm sure during those four months that crossed his mind all the time. And maybe you've been there as well. Maybe you are there right now in your life, praying, fasting, seeking God, yet nothing seems to be happening and you've questioned, is this really God's idea or is it mine? Is this the Lord putting this in my heart or is this just me, just wishful thinking? Listen, Nehemiah didn't stop believing in the vision God gave him and neither can we. We've gotta be like the old uh, group journey. You know, don't stop believing, you know? Now you wanna sing the rest of the song, don't you? All right, yeah. Like I said many times, I know it's hard for us to wait I mean, I'm sure that's why, I'm sure that's how we got fast food restaurants and microwave ovens, right? Now air fryers. Because we don't like to wait, and we've covered that a lot in the last two weeks. But gang, this is so important for mature believers to understand. We have to realize it's all in God's timing. Not ours. God's timing. And it takes mature believers to understand that to realize that. 
And that's actually steps and signs of spiritual maturity where you realize this is not about my timing, it's God's timing. And whatever God's placed on your heart, it might not come to pass for weeks, months, even years, okay? That's right, years. But the question is, are you willing to wait on God's timing and remain faithful where you are until God opens those doors or brings about the right opportunity or the right situation. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that when Megan and I were living in New Mexico and we felt that burden and urge to become lead pastors and we fought it, at least I fought it, didn't want to do it. It's like, God, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm happy doing the, the other ministries of the church. But finally, I, I accepted it. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And I said, okay, Lord, if you open that door, I will walk through and do that. But it took three years between that acknowledging and accepting the call to be a lead pastor and it finally coming to fulfillment. But Megan and I, in those three years, we believed in that call and that vision. And we continued seeking God about it, praying, uh, you know, uh, applying different places, just remaining faithful to where we are. So again, no matter what the duration of time that it takes God to fulfill the visions, the burdens that he's placed in your heart, you've got to continue to believe in it, to know it, and stay faithful. Because we know that God is working behind the scenes on people's hearts, on moving and shifting things into place for his will to happen. But it's the, the waiting is when our faith is built. We talked about how, it's, how we learn to depend on God and characters build, but it's also, this is when our faith is built, is in that waiting period. It's when we're waiting, that we're seeking him, getting close to him, trusting in him, that he's building up our faith. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, he's, he's, he's commonly called the, the prince of preachers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. You ever thought about that? Like, well, profound, Spurgeon. Wow, you know what I mean? That's so true. I mean, you know, my, my, my I was going to say son-in-laws. You guys are, you're my uh, nephews. A son-in-law was here last, this week too, Taylor with Tatum. But they were watching Turbo, the, the cartoon Turbo last night about the snail that races like crazy. That's not how the snails got into the yard. You know, they sauntered along almost like at the, the, the end of the movie when they got to the finish line, right? But it's perseverance. Listen, Galatians chapter six, verse nine, the apostle Paul kinds of speaks to this. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good and believing and remaining faithful and trusting God. That's doing good. Paul continues, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So the first part of our playbook is keep believing in the vision that God has for you and don't give up. The second aspect in our playbook, the second point is, is, remember, this is so important. It's by God's power, not our power. And one of my first messages that I, ever, I spoke here about a year and a half ago was like, it's, I used the text, it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And that everything that God's gonna do and accomplish, it's, it's, not by any, it's not by what we can muster and we can do on our own and the programs, I know it's all by God and his favor. We occupy, we do, we plan, we you know, all these things, but it's God who blesses and God who, who brings it all, okay? And that's what this is all about. Nehemiah was in the king's service. Nehemiah's life was not really his own. And he knew and he understood that the only way, the only way he'd be able to go to Jerusalem is, is if the king would allow him to go, if the king let him go. 
And Nehemiah knew that he needed God to do some incredible work on the king's heart. And gang, our God, one of the cool things I love about God is he is in the heart-changing business, man. Woo, how many people's hearts have been changed by God? Man, every hand should be right. I'm like, on my hands and my feet, okay? All right? Yeah. God is in the heart-changing business. Your unsaved loved one, your spouse that doesn't know the Lord, perhaps, maybe your child that doesn't know the Lord, okay, or grandchildren, your boss, your people, you know. That's why it's important to pray, like I mentioned last week, and pray and pray, because God moves upon the hearts of people. And Nehemiah probably knew that if he just barged in with his plan and his attitude to the king, he would get zilch on his own. He would get nowhere. He would not cross go. He would not collect $200. He needed God. He needed God. First off, Nehemiah knew he couldn't even get into the king's presence unless he was called. If he just barged in there without being called by the king, he'd have been put to death right away. We see this in, in the Old Testament book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 11 where Esther pretty much tells the number that the, the one law, there is only one law that's on the books if someone came into the king's court without being called by the king. Death. Off with their head. I mean, that's it. No questions asked, okay? So he needed God to even give him an opportunity to, to open that up to, so he could even go before the king. He couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't do it on his own. You know, it's funny if, if you know, if, if you're into sports or you know, you go to high school sports or different places, you know, the cheerleaders for a football team or a basketball team can, sometimes it can be kind of funny what they're saying. And that's what I mean. They're, the team that's on the field, basketball, football, it doesn't matter. they can be getting totally annihilated by the other team. You know, it's like scores like 75 to 20, 35 to zero. Okay. But when like in a football game, you look at the sidelines, you know, and, and you got to, you love the perseverance. My, my oldest daughter Tatum was a cheerleader and you know so I understand all this but when you look at the, the sidelines what do you see in here cheerleaders cheerling you can do it right you can I mean they're being blown away 75 points you guys got this you can do it all right and you're thinking in the stands no they can't <laughs> they're getting completely crushed all right listen but the world would say to you the world's attitude is you can do it you yourself you know, kind of like in that guy in water, you know, the water boy, you, know, you can do it. You know, that guy. you can do it, man. Your own strength, your own effort, your own might, your own skill, your own knowledge, your own education, your own ability. Guys, that is, that is the wrong thinking regarding godly vision. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. You know, <laughs> we need God. And the very second you think you can accomplish what God's placed on your heart, on your own, you're off. Then why would you need God? If you're so good, you're so talented, your abilities are so great that you can do it, then, then why do you need God? Uh-uh. That's why God will place things on our heart that it's too huge for us, too big for us. So if, if it seems impossible, again, you know you're in the right place, okay? And Nehemiah knew this, okay? And all of a sudden, you know, we, we look at Nehemiah and he's, he's a great example of leadership and there's, you know, Bible studies about his leadership and he's, you know, he's, he's given us a great example of a great leader and, and we might begin to put Nehemiah on the, you know, the Superman level, that leadership pedestal, all of a sudden he shows us humanity. 
He shows his humanity in our text. And, and just like, you know, Rocky Balboa tell, telling Adrian on the beach in Rocky 3, you know, I'm afraid. Remember that scene? He's like, I'll tell you the truth, I'm afraid. Nehemiah acknowledges that. He's afraid. In our text, he says that he became dreadfully afraid when the king asked about his countenance. Dreadfully afraid. The king noticed that Nehemiah was down. Maybe he was, you know, his eyes were all red from his crying and mourning. And, and the king asked him, hey, why do you look sick even though you're not physically sick? Basically, the king was like, dude, why are you in my presence looking like this? And Nehemiah became dreadfully afraid at that statement. Why? Because he knew how much power the king had. And Nehemiah knew this truth, that it was the wrong thing to do to come into the king's presence sad. You just didn't do that. We see this again in Esther chapter 4, verse 2 in the Old Testament. And Esther was queen in a Persian court under a Persian king. And, and the Esther 4, 2 says, For no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth or clothes of mourning. Again, one possibility of not putting on a happy face in the king's presence, it was death in the first degree. So Nehemiah immediately was afraid of the king's wrath. He got afraid. It's like, the king's like, Nehemiah, dude, you're emotionally distraught. You're not physically sick, but you're sad. Why are you sad in my presence? In Nehemiah's heart, oh no. I'm kind of like, my wife says, I'm kind of like Nehemiah in this aspect that, you know, you can tell what, if I'm angry or upset, my face says everything, you know? And over the last few years, I've really been working on that poker face so that I throw everybody off. But that's what happened with Nehemiah. The king knew right away. Nehemiah didn't have to say anything. And then Nehemiah got very afraid of the king. But even though he was afraid, get this, I believe right away, he saw an opportunity from God. He saw this as an open door from the Lord. And his fear did not keep him from moving forward. He had been called in by the king and now the king was asking what was wrong and Nehemiah had a plan of already of what he would say. And practically, listen, you, you most likely are gonna face fear when trying to fulfill your God-given vision. It might be, you know, of fearing people. It could be fearing someone's answer. It could be fear of the unknown. But gang, listen, fear is an attack of our enemy. Do you realize that, right? There's an acronym, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. How many have heard that acronym before? That's exactly what it is. Zach Williams, Christian artist, he sings. You know, fear is a liar. And that's so true. Listen, we have to take courage and walk through the doors of opportunity that God opens for us. And remember, it's, this is my favorite Scripture, our favorite verse in Scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power and love and a sound mind or self-discipline. So, so with courage, we read in verse 3 how Nehemiah began to open up to the king. It was pretty plain and simple. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't embellish. He just told the truth. He showed the king his loyalty he wasn't trying to usurp anything or betray the king. He didn't try to manipulate the king. No, Nehemiah left it all in God's hands and trusted and had faith in God. And the truth of this is, you know, people with a godly vision know that their, their visions, their burdens from the Lord, 
may not be fulfilled overnight. But again, they're willing to wait and trust God for those right opportunities and do what they can where they are with God's help and realize that God will open up that door and bring about in his time and his power. Now, the third item in our vision playbook then, we see this in verse four and five, is then you gotta seize the opportunity. You seize the opportunity. When the king asked what Nehemiah wanted, Nehemiah knew that this was the door that he had been waiting for. And again, I love, we've mentioned this, but I love that Nehemiah was a praying man. He was a praying man. And as the king asked, you know, you know what, you know, uh, uh, opened the door and, and says, what are you requesting? Nehemiah prayed right there. Verse four, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Can you just see Nehemiah? He's already timid, you know, from the, oh man, the king sees that I'm sad, all right? He's gonna kill me, you know? Lord, are you here? <laughs> that kind of thing. And then and, and the king goes, what are you requesting, Nehemiah? And so he's standing there and he's like, in his mind, Lord, help me. Here's the opportunity. Strengthen me. Encourage me. A quick prayer, just like that. Nehemiah knew that he probably wouldn't get a second chance. So he acted on the question from the king. Some believers don't do this. They don't take the opportunities that the Lord opens or gives them because of fear, anxiety, unbelief, apprehension, and uncertainty. Or maybe they think that that's not how I thought it would happen, so I'm not gonna go through. And then they wonder, God, why aren't you fulfilling the vision in my life? And God's like, well, I'm giving you opportunity after opportunity, but you're afraid, you're uncertain, you're, you're, you're timid, you're not wanting to walk forward in faith. Imagine the biblical narratives and stories if the opposite were true. What if Noah didn't build the ark because of uncertainty? Rain, Lord, you're gonna send rain on the earth? What is rain? It hadn't even rained up to that point. Ah, I don't know what that is, God, so I'm not gonna do it. What if Abraham didn't leave his home and his country and his people to follow God to a land he had never visited before or never been to? Are you serious, God? I'm very comfortable right here, Lord, and I don't know that land. I'm not going. What if Daniel didn't pray three times a day, even though the law was made in the, the, the land, that if you pray to any God other than the, the king of Babylon, you know, you, you'll, you'll be killed. What if Daniel's like, Lord, I don't want to be killed, so I'm not, I'm not going to pray. Same scenario in Babylon. What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what if they would have bowed before the tall statue of the king of Babylon while all the land bowed when the trumpet blew? What if Esther was too afraid to go before the king? The Jewish people then would have been annihilated because of Haman's plan, the book of Esther. What if Joshua became timid and apprehensive when, when God pretty much told him to take over for Moses and lead the Jewish people into the promised land? What if the disciples would have went to Jesus and said, follow you? I don't think so, I've already got a job. Thank you. Follow you, I don't even know you. How can I trust you, okay? What if in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said in agony, face the cross for these people who will reject me and sin? It's too frightful of a thought, Father. No way. Mm -mm. I ask, are you looking for God to do the seemingly impossible in your life? Are you praying for God to intervene in ways that just blows your mind? 
Are you afraid to follow God where he's leading because of uncertainty, fear, or worry? Are you just comfortable where you are and satisfied? Listen, we can't be satisfied. We have to pray for opportunities and then act on them when God brings them about and walk through them by faith. The fourth aspect of our playbook is then make your plans. Make your plans. Verses six through the first part of verse eight. When the king asked, Nehemiah was ready to act with his request. He was ready. He'd already rehearsed it. He knew what he would say. Sometimes we as believers, and I've been so guilty of this to say, you know, hey, let's just walk by faith and see what God does. Woo, it sounds good, right? Ah, there's no need to plan it out. We'll just wait on God. He'll take care of it, right? Look, God had birthed that vision in me and Megan again. And I just use this because it just times perfectly to lead pastors years, years ago. And when that first started, when we felt that, that burden and that vision, guess what I did? I got on my knees and I simply prayed, Lord, just open the right doors. That's all I prayed, all right? And there's really nothing wrong with that, except for a while, I wasn't doing any knocking on the doors, okay? <laughs> I was just sitting around. I was just waiting for this miraculous phone call, you know, for God to place me upon someone's heart and be like, Greg, God placed you on my heart. Are you looking to be a pastor anywhere? You know what I mean? And Megan got on to me. And she's like, dude, it ain't good. You know, what are we doing? It's, God's not just going to like, there you go, G. You know what I mean? Um, wasn't right, you're right. No, no, there was no progress until we planned. Put together a great resume. Put a, a sermon that I did on YouTube, you know, of, of speaking so that people could watch it. Emailed resumes, made phone calls, got the word out. And it's basically the same thing here as, you know, before we moved here to Corpus at the church. It's the same, same principle. We knew the season was right. We got a place on our heart. It was the season of right for us to move, but we just sit around God, I'm just going to wait till, till, you know, it just, uh, you know, somebody calls me. No, we, we wouldn't have moved because that wasn't planning. Listen, you've got to plan. You've got to plan. A, a preacher once said, failing to plan, okay, is planning to fail. And that's true, especially when it comes to the vision of our lives. So, well, you know, you say, well, why plan when it comes to your godly vision? First off, God plans. We see that in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Oh, Greg, he was speaking to the Jewish people. Yeah, but, but in context, but also by application, he's speaking to us because it's his word. And God, not only does God plan, but he commands us to plan. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, Paul says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul's talking about the church there, but notice he says all things, right? Proverbs 4.26, mark out a straight path for your feet, then stick to the path and stay safe. Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart plans his way. I love the scripture. But the Lord directs his steps. Where's Ryan's daughters? You guys need to do a video on those Proverbs right there. That'd be great, okay? Three, planning is good stewardship. We see this in Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15 through 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Listen, Nehemiah had a God-given plan that was, it was ready to implement when God opened the right door. So I asked this morning, watching online, you guys here this morning, do you have a plan for your children, your grandchildren, plan for your marriage, plan for your future spouse, job, career, church, ministry, work, neighborhood, your country, your outreach? Are you ready to speak God's truth and love to that family member who needs to hear it? Are you ready to walk through an open door by faith while holding on to God's hand, trusting him? Are, are you ready to jump in and begin the new job, even though there's so much uncertainty? Are you ready to go to that foreign country to spread the gospel? Are you ready to financially invest in the kingdom work because God has blessed you with finances and you can help support something or someone and God's placed that on your heart? Are you ready to start that business, that ministry, that outreach? Not knowing what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. Man, that's good preaching right there. <laughs> Woo, that is. Amen. Are you ready to step through the doors of a counselor because your marriage is suffering and you need that? There's so many scenarios here of, of godly vision that I can mention here. Basically, are you ready to seize the God-given opportunity when God opens that door and you've got a plan for it or will you let pride, fear, the unknown, hurt, wounds, bitterness, apprehension keep you from stepping forward? Dude, that could have so been us a year and a half ago. Corpus Christi, really? It's hot down there, Lord. Hot, 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 you know? And I love it. Anybody like me? I mean, the, the last heat, I roll down the windows, turn off the AC. Anybody else? I love it hot, all right? I'm not going to hell, praise God, because it's really hot there. Uh, and it's been hot. If you're not a believer, this heat should make you run to Jesus quickly, all right? In salvation for sure, okay? But we could have been like, God, it is hot down there. Corpus Christi, what is down there for us? It seems like it's at the very bottom of the U.S. <laughs> All of our friends are up here. We could have easily, so easily been, you know what? Let's just ignore the open door that got us opened and stay where we are, comfortable, secure, and enjoying life. But we knew what God placed on our heart. And God opened the door. And here we are. And we thank God. Amen? Because we love you guys. <laughs> all right. Uh, really quickly. All right. And this brings me to our fifth point. Jake, if you want to come up, that'd be great, my man. And, and I, I'm going to cut down. So there's, there's a couple uh, lips there, Eric. You'll see. We're going to go straight down to the, the fifth part of our vision. I'll do a video uh, devo this week about those aspects that's in the Crete notes. But... The fifth part of our, our vision playbook, and these two last two are, are really quickly. We see this in the first part of verse eight. Be sure to give God all of the credit and all of the praise. One of my mentors in ministry, he told me this one time. He says, Greg, a successful minister will stay away from the three G's. You won't touch the gold, you won't touch the girls, and you won't touch the glory. And that's so true. And it's so important, guys, to praise God and give him the credit for miraculously doing whatever needs to be done, okay? And that's why the waiting time is so important because it shows that we are not in control at all and that we don't deserve any credit. It's God. It's all God. And like Nehemiah did, we need to praise him. 
And finally, the last point of, of our action or our playbook and vision is we need to take action. We need to take action. Look what happened. Not only did the king allow Nehemiah to leave with letters of authority in hand, and, and, and that's what I'll do, the, the, the devotion I'll do that talks about the resources that he was able to get and, and those kind and the authority, okay? But Nehemiah left with the king's approval. He left with the king's blessing. And no matter if somebody came up to him, these governors, because he had to travel a long way, like, you know, who are you? You can't go. He, said, just, he would just go, look at this chief. How you like them apples? You know, that kind of a thing, all right? Um, so he had letters of authority in hand. He had letters to be able to get timber and the resources that he need. But check this out. Nehemiah was not alone. Verse 9 shows that there were, there were military captains and horsemen riding with him, man. So not only did the king send him with letters of authority and, 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 and uh, approval for resources, but the king gave him a military is- escort. Escort, I don't even know what that is. A military escort. And Nehemiah didn't even ask for that. Listen, that was more, way more than Nehemiah had even requested. That the king would give him a, an escort of captains and horsemen, man. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Love the scripture. The apostle Paul writes, Now glory be to God by his mighty power work within us, for he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare ask or hope for. I mean, that's a scripture that somebody needs to take really hold of. Because you might even been questioning, Lord, it seems impossible. There's no way. It's too big. You know, listen, God will bless us with, with more than we can hope for or ask for. He will do way more than we can even imagine because that's what he does. Praise the Lord. And guys, when we leave the details up to God, it's a lot better. It's a lot more than we can imagine because he's in the how business. Have you been waiting? Have you been praying? Planning about your godly vision? Has God opened a door of opportunity? Then listen, step out in faith. Step out in faith. You know, many of you know there's a new Indiana Jones movie, right? Okay, no, I'm not trying to, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> no, listen, one of my favorite ones of those whole series is The Last Crusade. Remember that scene where there's, there's a chasm and, and, and the clue is like, you got to, take a step out of faith and it looks like it's all the way down there but he just does this it's like all he can see is the way down all the way down but if you remember if you've seen the movie if you've not this is what he does he just kind of clenches and he just does this and all of a sudden he sees a stone bridge man when I saw that I was like dude that's just like us in, in our Christian walk there's so many times when, when, when God places on our heart it's like Lord how how I'm going to fail I'm going to fall. It's not going to work. I'm going to take a step of faith. And when we do that, God, you better be there. (laughs) Boom, he is. He is. He's there. He's there. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, I'm so silly. I see it all the time now, you know. (laughs) He's there. Listen, God wants people of action, not inaction. He wants people That'll step out in faith. That's what, please, that's what pleasing, pleases him. And that's how we see our God-given visions accomplished. Do you know what God's ultimate vision is? 
that all men and women would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God planned that, and he put that plan in action by his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves us so much. He loves us so much. He's actively involved in our lives, and he pulls us towards him. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our our fears. He knows our apprehension. He he knows our timidity. And he's long-suffering. And he's patient. And maybe you're here this morning and you've not made Christ your Savior. You've not made him your Lord. Man, Paul writes in Romans, and I put this in the pastor's corner, that if you confess Jesus with your mouth that he's your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. I implore you, that's God's vision. That's God's vision for you. He wants you to have a, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to say yes to him because he loves us so much. That's my cue. This guy. Hi, kids. And you guys know God loves you guys very much? He loves you very, 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 very much. Let's pray. God, we come before you and just thank you for your, your word. Help us to hold fast to you, Lord, to trust in you. Even though we might be afraid, God, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Let us know that you hold tomorrow. And that when we step out in faith, Lord, it's like your hands are the bridge that carries us. That gets us to where we need to be. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, God, that you, even, you have plans for us. Thank you, God, that, that you're mindful of us, that you want to actively be a part of our lives. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's not made you their Savior, or maybe some has, have drifted off from you, God, bring them home. Bring them home now. Don't let them reject the pull of the Holy Spirit. Let them say yes to you, Jesus, and start to begin to live their real, true life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.